Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido. I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, podcaster, whatever else I got to do to make it work, based in Denver, Colorado. My guest today is Louisiana-based singer and songwriter Evermore Nest. Welcome back, welcome back. I took last week off after taking six months off and starting season five two weeks ago. I took last week off because it was Thanksgiving. Um, but if you're listening to this episode today on release day, I'm getting ready to head to the Ogden Theater. Um, it's a 1,500-cap room here in Denver. My band, also modestly titled Andy Sido, is supporting Shane Smith and the Saints tonight. It's sold out. I'm super excited for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on in my world. Also, I'm on TikTok. I've never wanted to be on TikTok. I always said I'm not going to do it. That's going to be the one social media thing I don't do. I'm not doing it. It's not ever going to happen. But I did it. I'm on, I'm on TikTok. Maybe there's something in your life where you think, ah, damn it, do I have to? And that's what TikTok is for me, or was. But now I'm on, and I'm I'm all in. I'm not going to complain about it anymore. I'm just going to make TikToks, okay? I don't know why I'm telling you that, but I'm on TikTok. Um, Evermore Nest, uh, whose uh, birth-given name is Kelsey Wilburn, um, also goes by Kelsey May. She's a Louisiana-based singer-songwriter, as I mentioned uh, just a minute ago. And uh, she has a new album out called Out Here Now that released on August 19th of this year. And also, if you're listening to this on release day, December 1st, then tomorrow, December 2nd, Evermore Nest has a single coming out called Happy New Year. You can find that on all streaming platforms. Go check it out. Um, and if you're listening to this not on release day, which is when most people listen, is a day or two later, um, then it's out and you can go listen. In fact, um, there there's a link in the show notes to go check out Evermore Nest on Spotify to make it nice and easy for most of us who listen to our music on Spotify uh, to just click it and, and go check out the new single. So, great. Um, we're going to jump right into the show uh, if you'd like to support this podcast in a completely free way, please consider a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Um, it's, it just takes a second and is a huge help. If you would like to support in a monetary way, uh, please consider becoming a patron, a patron excuse me, at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, A-N-D-Y-S-Y-D-O-W. There's also a link for that in the show notes. And uh, you can support for as little three as $3 a month. And I put up some early content and some different content and um, whatever I feel like. Quick thanks to uh, sponsor. We've got Patrick at PQ Mastering. Uh, PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, please visit pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. Let's do the show. Kelsey, thanks for coming on the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Andy, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm having to get all this set up again because I put out my 100th episode in May. Congratulations. And I did, thank you. I, and I did one in-person episode um, with Taylor Abrahams when he stayed with my wife and I here 
in August, but I'm used to doing the weekly thing and I haven't done it for six months. So um, it would be right for me to misrecord this the first time. So thanks for letting me redo the intro. Absolutely. I'm all about the redos <laughs> and do things twice and three times even. Yeah. Well, and, and how are you in the studio? Are you one of those people that does things like a million times or are you of the very organic, that's how it happens, let's leave it that way? It depends on who's recording it. <laughs> if, I, if I'm recording it, then I'm probably going to do it a million times. If I'm in the studio with uh, working with like, you know, the people I make records with, then um, generally, no, I just, you know, usually three to four takes, uh, maybe five tops and uh, call it a day. How much trust do you put in in the people you – I mean, and I don't even mean like in terms of personnel. You're working with great people. I just mean some artists are very hands-on with their own production, um, whereas other artists will totally default to what the producer says. Um, where do you sit on that spectrum? <laughs> I think I'm pretty type A, so I, th I think I I end up being pretty hands on, uh, no matter no matter who I'm working with. But I mean, I obviously pick people that I that I trust, you know, that I that I know that um, I don't have to be, you know, too. I don't have to overstep. Like they're there to do their job, and I trust them to do it, and I trust them to tell me if I need to, you know, change something or. Right. adjust this or that but um but I am you know I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to studio work so I uh if it's not how I want we're gonna get there eventually <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely well and I always think it's it's funny too because one you know both producing for other artists and as an artist I will I'll totally flip like as the producer I'll say hey that was amazing that was great that was that was the take and then as the artist, some, the producer will say that to me. I'll be like, that was terrible. Right. Like, we, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, so speaking of uh, the recording process, maybe we should just jump straight into straight into that. You put out a record on August 19th um, called Out Here Now. And that was uh, – well, actually, just, just talk about the, the record a little bit. How long was that in the works before uh, you put it out? Well, um, I guess the songs kind of came into play across the whole time off, you know, uh, the, the time off we all did not want to take. Um, so it was kind of a slow process. Um, I, I made a record with uh, producer Nielsen Hubbard back in 2017 that we released in 18. That was the first Evermore Nest record, The Place That You Call Home. And following that, I like we had a great 2019 on the road and I was starting to think about, okay, next steps, time to get back in the studio when 2020 happened. And um, that really slowed things down a great bit, um, in, both in terms of the recording process, but also in terms of just songwriting for a new record. I didn't have really all the material that I wanted for a new record yet. And then when 2020 hit with all of its Ugh. Uh, yeah, I just felt very uninspired and um, it took me a while to get going writing again. So yeah, the journey from 2018 to putting out this record in 2022 was, was longer than anticipated, but, um, but worth the wait, I think in the long run. And even, even though there's a big wait in between, to me, it sounds like the two records are sort of siblings in a way. I don't know mm -hmm. if you feel that way about it. I know there's a lot of the, uh, the same personnel playing on the records. Um, and they, yeah, it, it felt like um, 
a, a sequel in some ways. Like it, it's a different record. It's, but it's, uh, there was a lot of similarities too. Did you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. I kind, I mean, I kind of wanted that. Um, I think that was pretty intentional because I, you know, in thinking about where to go <clears throat> with production, excuse me, <clears throat> where to go with production for the second record, you know, a lot of times I think artists like to try to, you know, have a new experience, pick new producers, go to new studios, um, you know, be in a new environment. Uh, but I, I really didn't feel like I was done in that musical space that we created on that first record. So I, um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of natural that it sounds like a sibling because I think that's kind of how I was, was hoping it would. And how do you feel about that space now? Do you feel that you want to continue in that same space or are you eager now that you've done two records like this <laughs> to try something completely different? I am, I don't, I'm not sure. I, uh, haven't, haven't gotten to that point yet. I think I think the next batch of songs will probably determine that, and they're not fleshed out yet, so we'll see. Yeah, well, and are do you, are you constantly writing, or are you the person who writes, does the production, does the record, releases the record, and then goes through goes through the system all again? It's the latter, definitely. Um, I think there's so much creativity that goes into putting out a record; it almost exhausts so much of that energy, um, the whole process of the release. So yeah, it's cyclical for me, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, an up and down a roller coaster of sorts of, uh, of writing. Um, I wish it was more regular, you know, and maybe I would be if I weren't an independent artist doing all the things, wearing all the hats, you know, um, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't have that luxury. So, uh, maybe one day I'll find out, but for now it'll just be what it is. What hats would you want to take off immediately if you could? That's a great question. Um, I would have to say management just because it is the most encompassing. It is like, you know, it's basically all the admin that a person has to do. Um, and that is such a time suck. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you know. I've thought about this because I'm, I'm maybe very, I think I'm a pretty hands-on person as well. And I think even if I was on a major record label selling Ed Sheeran numbers of records, I, there'd probably be some things that I still would really want control of and it'd be important sure. to me, but yeah. other things that I'd be so happy to give up, like booking. Right. <laughs> I don't know. But it's, yeah, it's real. And like the whole, you know, I don't know, just all the, there's a million things to think about behind every action I think that we take as artists trying to survive in this very difficult musical landscape. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and to jump kind of back into this, this musical space we were talking about, um, Sure. Your music in general, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, you're branding it as Americana, but Americana can be a, a whole lot of different things. Um, you know, there's there's folk in there, there's gospel, there's blues, um, modern sounds of growing up in the 90s. Right? There, you can hear all that in mm -hmm. uh, in your music. And, and there's roots instrumentation. And I also maybe even hear like a little pop flavor in, in, in songs like Out Loud with the whistles sure. and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, it sounds 
AAA to me. Um, what, where do your influences come from? Um, I don't know. I don't always know how to answer that question. Um, I think I did a deep dive when I was trying to figure out how to talk about this record. Um, and I think you've touched on a lot of the things that I discovered about myself. Um, I grew up in North Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana is where I was born and raised. And Shreveport has a very different vibe than I think what people think of when they think of Louisiana. It's very much more of like an East Texas kind of feel. Um, it doesn't have that sort of Cajun flavor that we have down here in South Louisiana, which is where I live now. Um, so the musical influences that I grew up with up there were largely country and uh, gospel and blues. And then, of course, you combine those sort of natural, that natural environment um, with growing up in the 90s and being in love with uh, all those artists because that was, you know, sort of my formative years. And um, so that was a huge influence on me, still is to this day. And and then today what I'm inspired by is, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Like, I love all different kinds of music and um, a lot of music I love is definitely in that Americana umbrella. Um, but then I'm also really moved by other artists and um, like Bon Iver specifically is one of my favorite, favorite mm -hmm. artists. And, um, you know, he's gone down such an electronic route. It's very, <laughs> it's very different. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely find a lot of inspiration like outside of music in terms of lyrical inspiration um, in nature and just like the human experience. Uh, those things continually sort of speak to me. So let's go back a little bit to uh, a kid in, in Louisiana. I mean, what are what's the first thing that starts to get you interested in music and writing? Um, the writing part happened later. The music part happened as soon as I could sing, which, you know, when I, well, and I was very, very young. Um, my, I grew up in the Southern Baptist church. That was a very significant part of, or is still today, um, a big, big part of Shreveport culture. And, um, and so church, church life was like more than just Sundays, you know, like there was Wednesday night church and choirs and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I was in like a children's choir when I was, I think, starting around four or so. And I think I sang my first solo around five. And I just loved singing as a kid. That was always really fun. And then my mom put me in piano lessons when I was maybe in kindergarten or first grade. And, and then I took up trumpet in elementary school. And uh, I didn't start playing guitar until I was in high school because I, I was actually a really good trumpet player as a kid. And then, but I learned how to play trumpet with braces on. And then when my braces came off, it completely messed up my embouchure. And I was devastated because I went from being like really good at a thing to like not being able to make any good tone at all. And, um, I think in that frustration, I just said, like, screw this instrument. And my brother played guitar. And so I like took his guitar out of his room and started learning basic chords. And I, I think anybody who has a natural, um, uh, like, 
desire to write or just has that within them. I think as soon as you learn guitar chords, it's just like it, <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> Words and yeah. melodies just come right behind it, you know. Um, but as a as a high school student, I got really into uh, creative writing, poetry, and and nonfiction and fiction. So, so they kind of went hand in hand, both happening at the same time. That's great. And um, so, some of these was there an artist that you first heard as a kid that you really, really latched onto? Definitely, um, Counting Crows. Uh, I think I think August and Everything After came out yeah. in '95. I think it was '95. Um, that record was sort of life changing for me, and I was only 12, 11 or 12. <laughs> but uh, that was that was pretty influential. Um, I also was a huge fan uh, because I was so involved in this like church world. Um, there were some Christian artists that like. There was a big 90s alt-rock Christian scene too. But one of the folkier bands at the time uh, was called Cademan's Call. And uh, I don't know if any of your listeners follow Derek Webb. He's still pretty active uh, musically and, and kind of has um, altered his direction a bit to and from the church. But um, but Cademan, Cademan's Call was, was a band that I really enjoyed. And it had that big full sound with multiple instruments, um, a lot of guitars, a lot of harmonies, and a rootsy, you know, rootsy stuff that that um, that I'm realizing as an adult was definitely probably pretty influential for me. Yeah, and oh, that's interesting. And when you got to, as you got older, you know, in high school and stuff, um, what kind of what kind of a kid were you? It, it, not, it doesn't even have to be musical. I mean, what what were you getting involved with um, in school? What kind of a person were you? <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> what a fun, fun thing to think about. Um, what kind of kid was I? I was a tomboy always, and really into sports. Um, I had an, I just had an older brother growing up, and. I always wanted to do whatever he was doing. So that meant playing baseball or football. We had a beautiful park behind our house. Um, so I grew up doing all those things, basketball, softball. And um, and then I, you know, I always loved performing. Like I had that, you know, that whether it was piano or trumpet or singing um, in church. I didn't really start singing in any sort of creative landscape. There wasn't really a big, there wasn't really an opportunity for that, like, we didn't have a lot of high school bands and play coffee shops to play when I was a kid. So that didn't really start until I was in college. But, um, but I think in high school, I got really into, um, kind of moved a little bit away from the sports stuff and moved into, um, I don't know, being interested in, in books and poetry and, and, um, you know, going to concerts, you know, stuff like that. What kind of books? Uh, well, like whatever we had to read, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, sure. you know, I mean, as a, as a little kid, I read, I read stuff. Oh, I really loved, uh, mysteries. Um, so I'd read like the old classics, but I'd also read like Encyclopedia Brown as a, I don't know if, if you remember Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. Um, those were fantastic books. Uh, but, but as a teenager, I definitely got into, you know, the classics. I had a wonderful English teacher for two years of high school um, that was super influential in my life and just really gave me an appreciation for for the English language and, and what you can do with it. 
Did that help with your writing, having this teacher? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's cool to have a, a an, influ an influential teacher like that. I was just thinking about the other day all these... I think there's a like a show coming out or a movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, and that was oh, a, a, nice. That was a required reading at one mm -hmm. point, and I, so I was going back and thinking about all the books I had to read in high school, and how many of them did I actually read, and how many of them did I um, look up the Spark Notes, right, and get the paper done. Um, <laughs> I well, it's funny because I recently started. Um, in the last few years, I'll every now and again, I'll pick up a book that we read in high school that I sort of remember or don't remember at all. And reading it, um, you know, in your late 30s is a very different experience than reading something at 17, 16, 18 even. Uh, so I highly recommend <laughs> going back and picking up some of these books and finding out because it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot more there as an adult than there is as a teenager, you know? There's a lot more to grab hold of and be inspired by and feel. Well, I, I just like the idea of doing something without being told to. Absolutely. I think. <laughs> uh, okay, well, but, forget that I just told you to do <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I just, you know, that's how it was in high school is all I'm saying, is uh, it was required and we had to do some essay or something, and so that's what made it. A bummer, you know, or we had two weeks to read it if, you know, I want to take right. six months if I want to. I exactly. <laughs> uh, um, I love how this is unfolding because I usually am very chronological with how I chat with people. And I think I'm just, we're just going all over the place. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's kind of fun. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, something specific with the band about how it's a solo project, but you collaborate with other people. But first, um, the band name Evermore Nest, uh, you said came from a Mary Ann. Salmon. Salmon. We think Salmon spelled. We think Salmon. S-A-M-Y-N, Mary Ann Salmon poem. Um, it's not just three random words put together, which it would have been totally cool if it was. It's three uh, beautiful words, but, um, what was what was the nature of the poem and what was the context of Evermore Nest? Yeah, um, so in my recollection, the poem was in a literary journal that I was reading through one day and the poem was entitled Intimacy. And the speaker is um, observing a bird and she writes um, the one with Evermore Nest. And there was just something about Evermore Nest. Like, it's like one of those things where you're, you're wondering, what does that mean? But you also know what it means, but you don't know what it means, but you kind of know what it means. And it, I don't know, for whatever reason, for me, it felt like home. Like, I loved this idea of Evermore Nest. It's like, I don't know, it involves time and space and growth. And um, I also, I'm just totally drawn to nature stuff in general. And, uh, I don't know. I just really felt like what a strong image, Evermore Nest. Did it hit you the first time you read it, or was yeah, it something definitely yeah, mm -hmm. immediately? It was. Was it one of those phrases where you read it and you went, "Oh my gosh, band name"? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and, and it's funny because I'm pretty sure those three words are not, you know, 
necessarily that important to the poem itself. Um, uh, but I mean, every word in a poem is really important, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the poem is not about the bird, nor is it about the nest. Um, it was about something else entirely, but I just really, uh, I just really love that idea. And, you know, I love how those words sound together. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think you hit on something. Um, a lot of people, especially in the singer songwriter world and in the folky world, use their name. In fact, I think that's probably the common thing to do for a solo artist um, is to just is to first and last. Did you consider doing that? Did you do that for a little while before you became Evermore Nest? And what was the decision to say, I want to be I want to have a different identity as an artist? Yes. So I released several records under the name, three records, three records under the name, uh, Kelsey May, which, um, is like a family name. The other people just call me Kelsey May. And I played and toured under that name coming out of college. Um, and I think over time I just realized that, um, well, a number of things happened. Uh, one is no one knew how to spell it. Kelsey, um, in my case, is K-E-L-C-Y, which is not the most common spelling of Kelsey. And May can be spelled two different ways. And I think I, you know, I ended up being on tour and it would just be misspelled on the marquee or like they would make a poster and it would have the wrong name on it. And even though even sometimes they would misspell the website, you know, like it's the same name as the website, KelseyMay.com. And I think that got really frustrating for me. And so did um the fact that someone went on one of those um big contest shows singing contest shows like the voice or american idol or something i don't remember which one it was but someone went on there as kelsey may <laughs> so that kind of complicated things a bit for me too <laughs> and they spelled it differently though i think yeah they spelled it differently but i was like okay you know this is just like too many things are happening that are indicating maybe this isn't the right way to go. But I was also realizing at the same time that musically, so those three records I released are all extremely different. And I, I was just having a hard time just figuring out who I was musically and as an adult, um, just as a person. So um, I really felt at some point that I needed a fresh start and I really needed, um, I, can, I, don't know, I kind of like making that record with Nielsen, the first one. And, and, and deciding upon the name Evermore Nest, all those things happened in a, in a way that was really beautiful and affirming from the universe. And, um, and I definitely, I think, was hitting a, a, a point in my life where I was really starting to understand who I am and um, what my sound is and that kind of thing. So it made sense to just have a whole new endeavor. And you you know, your Evermore Nest is you, but you play with people, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, when we met at, at a farm a few weeks ago, you were there as uh, a duo. You had somebody there accompanying you as well. Um, sometimes it's a full band. How do you, how do you go about marketing yourself, um, where you're using different collaborators all the time? It's tricky. I'll be honest. Um, the marketing aspect is tricky uh, because, well, specifically when it comes to touring too, um, just because I really prefer a full sound. Like I, if I had my choice, I would have a six or seven piece band all the time. 
Um, but that's very expensive. And uh, I can't do that always on the road, especially on the road. So um, in New Orleans, most often, if you're here, like you'll see me with my with my band. Um, but on the road, we have to obviously have these anchor gigs or festivals or things that that enable us to take the take the band, which is why you saw me with Dave, Dave, the Dave Dakotas, fantastic guitarist, um, yeah. has played with me for years. He um, so, he, you know, he and I got to tour together. But I, to answer your question of how to market it, I, you know, I'm I use the same language to talk about the music no matter what. Um, but if I, you know, have to specify for for the audience experience for, that people should expect, um, then I'll just kind of describe what it sounds like as a duo or, or describe, you know, what it's like for the band. For the band, obviously, the record really comes through. You know, you get to hear all those those textures. Um, recording for me is is really one of the most fun aspects of the whole music making process. And I'm going to do whatever I can live to give people what was important to me in making the record. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And so when you take this yeah, I mean, you want you want the record sound live, or you I mean you want yeah. to be able to represent the songs in that way. Do you ever have to say branding wise, like Evermore Nest full band show or Evermore Nest solo show, or do you just? Um, and I'm I'm specifically talking about branding for when you're when you're playing a show. Do you mm -hmm. have to specify to people, um, or can you show up with whatever you got and and that's fine? I generally try to put it on the calendar if it's a duo um if it's less i don't always specify full band because generally that's what i like to default to um but if i'm on tour as a duo um i'm, I'm gonna put that in the you know in the name of the show um just to just because i think i i don't know as a fan of other artists i like to know these things you know i mean i don't have to but but i i like to especially if i if i listen to them in a band context you know it's nice to know that you're going to hear them solo or I don't know. I guess right. it doesn't really matter now that I think about my experience. No, I don't really have expectations for other artists, but for some reason I think maybe my audience does. I don't know. Yeah. No. And, and it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm asking, I'm asking your take on it too, because I, I have, I'm Andy Sitto, whether I have a band or not. And I love to play with a band too. And it's always, um, I never know whether to specify or put it in parentheses or, um, right. or give it a different name. I don't know. But, well, I, uh, I think it's interesting. You've touched on an, a point with like the fact that, you know, you go by your name um, and I go by Evermore Nest. So there's always like an implicit, is that a band? You know, when, but I think about Hooray for the Riff Raff. I think about Bright Eyes. Um, these are solo artists that have backing bands and sometimes it's just them and sometimes it's not. And I guess it'd be interesting to go look at their calendars and see what they say. But I think they, yeah. I mean, they're big enough. They always do it with the band, I think, yeah. you know, largely. Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. But um, they probably post when they're doing solo sh shows, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I they probably put that in parentheses. Right. I don't so, and know. I, I don't and know I would too. I would put solo or I would put duo, but beyond that I think I just let it be. Let's jump into a, a little bit more of the of the business side of things. Um 
you know, for an independent artist, it's you have to figure out who your team's going to be. And as we kind of touched on earlier, what you're going to do yourself. Um, one part of the team that you do have is a booking agent. Um, how did that come about and how has that affected um, your touring? Great question. I don't have a great answer for the second half of it because I um, was so new. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, we haven't been doing it for very long, so I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but I will say that, so I work with Louise Baker, of uh, Baker Booking and, um, um, and her partner, Bruce, and it's been wonderful. I, I got to know Louise over the years because I would play in, whenever we toured through Asheville, we would play the Isis Music Hall. And that's how I first got to know Louise because she was booking for them at the time and um and then just through some various like during the pandemic oh so i think we saw each other again at, at um folk alliance in new orleans right before the pandemic and and then um during the pandemic you know there were various webinars and things that folk alliance would put on that surfa would put on you know all the various little satellite regional folk alliance um groups and I think Louise and I connected on on one of those, and I had some questions for her, so we got to to catch up and and um, talk about some different approaches to things. That was really cool. And then I got to see them again at Surfa this last year. I went to um, to Surfa, and which is the Southeast Region Folk Alliance for those who may not know. Um, yeah, and we just had a really nice time talking. I think you know I had this new record about to come out, and um, they were aware of that, and they were aware of my my need for um, booking for you know national tours. Um, so it just you know is one of those things that happened kind of naturally. I know I've been told, as most artists have been told, who are emerging, so to speak, um, you know, booking and management comes to you. You don't come to them you know like that's that's a common thing we're told like that yeah agents will know when you're ready right so so it, it was it was really nice um because I, I think that they you know they're showing confidence in me and my music and um and I really enjoy working with them and so uh I'm excited really excited to to be doing that now and then we just did like one stretch of shows so far and they were wonderful across the northeast we had a really good good experience um up there it wasn't it wasn't a long tour so i you know i, I don't have like a lot of a lot of things to go on yet but so far so good i'm i'm just really thrilled to have support you know it's hard doing this thing wearing all the hats so. yeah and and how much are you wanting to tour this new record i mean are you planning on um doing the whole country and back again or just a, a run of shows what's kind of your your plan with it the plan is in progress um but yeah i think 2023 needs to largely be spent on the road um so we're we're starting to talk about that now which regions we want to hit and when um it's really hard to make a living playing music and i well, what I'm learning is it's hard to make a living playing music anywhere <laughs> in the U.S. Yeah. right now. But specifically, like living in New Orleans, um, this isn't really a city. It's a musical city for sure, but it's not very sustainable uh, for people to stay here and play. It's a small market, and um, I write original music, so I, you know, I can only have so many shows a month, and it's unfortunately not close to anything either. It's not like I can just 
hop up and down the coast, you know, um, like people on the Northeast or, you know, mid Atlantic can do. Um, so yeah, I have to be pretty intentional about, about where to go and when, and, and that's what we're working on now. But, but yeah, the road is apparently where, where it is, you know, if you're not working, you're, I don't know. I don't do think that, anybody has the answer right now for no. how to survive in the musical world, no. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to try all the things. We're going to try all the things. Do you, are, are you able to tour as much as, as possible, as much as you get booked? Is there something, you know, something else you're doing for income at home that where you need to be home a certain amount of time or what's, what's your status with that? So I am a freelance writer. Um, by day and also um, have recently started making websites uh, for artists and organizations and businesses. Um, so that kind of work I can do remotely, which means I can tour as much as I need to. You can do wonderful. 250 dates. <laughs> I mean, I could, I'm sure I'd be <laughs> completely <laughs> exhausted, but maybe if I was doing 250 dates, then I would actually have an income from music that would have allow me to stop the other stuff. Yeah. Well, but freelance, uh, doing writing and designing websites, I would say has helped you out in your career too, because I'm assuming you did your own website. Yep. Mm -hmm. It looks great. And I, I have to ask, did you write your own bio? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, I think it's one of the best bios I've, I've ever read. I was, Oh, thanks Andy. Yeah. I was, I was reading through it and, um, and I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I bet Kelsey wrote this, but it, because you're you're a great writer, but it reads it reads like you paid somebody five hundred dollars to do it for you. <laughs> well, um, well, if anybody uh, out there needs a new bio and you want to pay someone five hundred dollars, yeah, no, I wouldn't charge that much. But yeah, that's yeah, that's the other. I, I so after I went to um, college in New Orleans for uh, and I was an English major. Um, and also studied some business stuff and music business. But after that, um, Katrina happened. And like right after I graduated, Katrina hit. And that shifted so much of my world um, very dramatically, very quickly. Yeah. And I had a couple of years of like, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, I had to start over musically because a lot of my band members from college didn't come back. And um, I had to just get a job and figure stuff out. And I ended up working in tile flooring and, um, that was not fulfilling, I will say, but it was, it had its moments, but it was, uh, not inspiring. And I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to be around creative people again. And I went to grad school for creative writing and, uh, and writing. Yeah. It's, it's always been something I've loved. So it was an easy, I don't know, uh, flip, switch to flip to get, you know, to get some work in that world. Can I read an excerpt from your bio? Absolutely. Evermore Nest's dynamic, homegrown voice, hugged by lush church pew harmonies, is complemented by ghostly, effusive guitars, spirited mandolin and banjo, mournful fiddle, and a rhythm section steady as a country train. I mean, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Can you tell <laughs> Any indie musicians listening to this, yeah, that's a little that that one's a little adjective heavy. I don't know. Not every sentence is like that, but 
man, if somebody wrote a sentence about me like that, I would, I actually, I don't have $500, but <laughs> I would want to pay that person $500. Anybody listening who needs a, an adjective heavy sentence or a new bio, <laughs> <laughs> the contact info's in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. Call Kelsey, do not call me. Um, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's great. So I had to touch on that because, and especially brought up the web design, your website looks, it just looks really, um, really ultra professional. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. wonderful news to hear. Um, uh, it was helpful because Louise, um, presented at farm, uh, on the importance of having a website and, so uh, she asked me and um, and Brian from House of Hamill to to be on the panel with her about you know how to about just basic you know website stuff for for bands for artists and um, it's like oh man I better like make sure mine is really <laughs> really squared away here <laughs> so but it was yeah. kind of fun because in in talking through the points of that panel you know we really were able to like. I don't know. It was just, it was helpful because it helped me realize what within my own website needed changing from a, from a booking perspective or from an audience member's perspective. So I think so often as artists, we're, we're often thinking our website needs to either just be for booking agents or just be for our, our fans. Um, I think it depends on the artist who they're really trying to hit. It's really important to remember that it's there for both, you know, um, and that's kind of a, an interesting, I don't know, it makes you, it makes you think about different things when you're designing. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I went to that, uh, I went to the panel and I thought it was, uh, it was really interesting. And we're chatting about a panel that happened at Folk Alliance Region Midwest, um, where you and I met in person. Have you found that going to conferences in general, um, has been helpful for you? I mean, do you always feel, I'm really glad I did that. I'm, I, I gave up a weekend of gigs or whatever, but I went and marketed myself and met people. Do you find that they're largely beneficial? I think so, because the music industry is so based on relationships and it's kind of impossible to develop all the relationships naturally that you can develop in a weekend at one of these conferences. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that is so powerful um, to hear other people's music, to make friends with other artists to, I mean, obviously uh, knowing you and here I am on your podcast. Thank you so much for, for having me. Um, but yeah. like that, that kind of stuff doesn't, doesn't happen nearly as easily if you're not putting yourself out there at these events. Um, yeah. It's hard because it's expensive and um, I think you have to prioritize which ones you want to do and how many a year and um, there's arguments to be made for, for always doing them, but, but you also have to just remember that you're, you got to make your art and do your art, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we've been, as we've been bouncing all over the place, I want to make sure that we chat um, more about your your new record and a new single that you have coming out too we should also chat about that um so on both these records uh, nielsen hubbard was your producer um and if the name's not familiar to you um it's he's he's done all kinds of records and um one in particular is uh, he was the producer on mary gaucher's rifles and rosary beats 
um, but just as an extensive list of credits, how did you two first uh, come in contact and end up working together? Nielsen produced Caroline Spence's album Spades and Roses, and um, I don't remember what year that record came out, but I heard it probably in 2016 or early 2017. And at the time, I was that was that's when I was going through my switch from Kelsey May to whatever was next, and um, which I wasn't sure what that was going to be. I had made all my Kelsey May records in New Orleans at different studios, and I knew that the next record I made, I wanted to be somewhere else, and yeah. I wanted to work with someone else. And um, not because I had bad experiences, I just I had just realized that working at home is very different than going somewhere and investing all of your energy. Um, where you're not distracted by home. Uh, and so I, I, at the time was thinking about what to do next, where to go next. And somehow I heard a Caroline Spence song. I don't know if it was on the radio or, um, or some sort of playlist or something, but I was blown away by the sound. And I was like, this is so absolutely gorgeous. I, I want, my music to sound like this, you know? <laughs> um, so I immediately Googled the, the record and the producer and that's how, how I learned about Nielsen. So just did like some inter basic internet research on him and sent him an email and just said, Hey, I'm this person in new Orleans and can I make a record? <laughs> it was just <laughs> said, a cold yeah, email just like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Which you never know what you're going to get from something like that. Um, but it's been, Oh man, it was life changing to work with him and to work with the the folks. I, I've told this story a lot in interviews, but um, the first time that I so I drove up to Nashville and I met him and Dylan. Dylan Aldridge owns Skinny Elephant Recording, which is where Nielsen does a whole lot of his records. And um, I was just driving over to the studio to meet them. You know, the day before we were going to start recording and. Uh, and within like the first few minutes, so Nielsen's from Jackson, Mississippi, originally, and Dylan is from Past Christiane, Mississippi, which is right here on the Gulf Coast by New Orleans. And, uh, and then Will Kimbrough, who's also featured on both records, is from Mobile, Alabama, which is again right here on the coast by New Orleans. And within the first few minutes of meeting everybody, we're talking about the New Orleans Saints and whether or not we're gonna have a good season. Right. <laughs> and it was just like, it didn't feel, like a Nashville moment. It felt like a New Orleans moment somewhere else, you know, and it yeah. was really, it was just really nice because it felt like home without being home. I immediately felt comfortable. Like these were, you know, I, I think Nashville to a lot of people who don't live there or go there often is, is kind of an intimidating place. And um, yeah. to say, oh, I'm going to Nashville to make a record, you know, people are thinking big studio, big Whoa, executives yeah. and all that kind of thing. And that is not at all what this experience was like. It was very like just a lovely group of humble exceptional musicians um that love making records together and i got to be a part of that it was incredible and the the rest of the cast of characters too you had several other people playing on it um will kimbrough who was uh the 2004 americana music association instrumentalist of the year um he's had cuts from jimmy buffett and little feet and done a bunch of stuff uh dean merrill's on it fats kaplan was on it. i mean you, it's it's a great cast of uh musicians was that all people that you sort of handpicked as well, or was that, um, that was all Nielsen Nielsen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm so lucky. Um, cause I, you know, these are, I don't, I don't know if I would have had the same access to these kinds of people if, uh, if it weren't for, for him. And, um, he just, he knew what kind of sound I was going for and he handpicked, um, people for the record. And when it came time to make the new one out here now, which is freshly out, um, I was like, I want, I want the same folks. <laughs> so yeah. Let's do it again. You know, if it yeah. ain't broke, don't fix it. So, and there's, there's two, just to reemphasize, there's two records out with, with this cast of musicians, the place that you call home, which came out in October of 2018 and out here now, which just came out in August and you can stream both of those mm -hmm. anywhere, you know, you know, the drill people, um, where you can, where you can find that stuff. Um, but they're both great records. I noticed too, I mean, there's, you know, there's roots instruments and, um, there's all these different genres we talked about earlier kind of meshed together, but it, there's also, um, there's modern sounds in there too. It seemed like you weren't afraid, um, you know, to put a, you know, a modern, a synth sounding thing in, in places. And, um, I think that's, that's really neat that you're kind of combining multiple worlds. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. I, Thanks. <laughs> Making music is fun, you know. Let's play with the stuff. It's like I don't know. I think being in the studio is like is like being in a playroom. You just there's all these really fun toys, and uh, sometimes it's pretty clear to me. Okay, this is this is where a mandolin goes. Um, but other times, you know, and like especially Nielsen was really fun. Like um, playing the mellotron, putting that on one of the tunes. I, I've never had a Mellotron on my record before, so that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's well. There just seemed to be, you know, soundscapes going on throughout the whole record. Um, yeah, and I call those the ghosties because, and that's Will Kimbrough making all kinds of cool noises on his guitars uh, with his always really intricately put together pedal board that I'm always trying to pick apart. Oh, that's so neat! And you do this live uh, with with different people is it um how close do you try to get to the exact same sound are you do you give it to the band and say i need you to play this or do you give it to the band and say do your own thing with it but here's the reference how do you transition that into a live show i try to get the band to play as close to the record as possible um i mean it depends on the song of course sometimes a live performance calls for something maybe a little different. Um, but most often, you know, I, as a music fan, I love hearing live the record I've fallen in love with at home. And yeah. I, I like to, to try to give that to fans too. So yeah, the, yeah, the band here in New Orleans, they, they, they learn a lot of the parts. I mean, it's not always an exact replica, um, but it's, it's really close. And, um, and, and going into the studio for this new record, um, you know, I made some choices in the studio thinking about who I'm playing with at, you know, live, um, and, and how we can, you know, get that same sound. Um, so I, that's one of the differences I think from out here now versus the place that you call home is that there's a good bit more banjo and mandolin, which, um, is what my wife Lucy plays in the band. Um, and so it was fun adding, adding a lot more of that texture for the, for out here now. 
You have a single coming out on December 2nd, um, which this will be the day after this episode comes out, I think. I gotta double cool. check that, but I think the episode this episode will be out on December 1st. Single comes out on December 2nd called Happy New Year. Um, where and where'd you record this one and what's it all about? So yeah, Happy New Year. Um, well, I think you can probably gather the subject matter a little bit, but, um, it was recorded as part of the out here now sessions. Like I I was originally going to put it on the album and then, um, just, you know, as things happen when you record, sometimes you're like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe this does or doesn't need to be a part of this group of songs. So, um, yeah, it was recorded with the same musicians at the same time as the album, but, uh, I decided it's got kind of a little bit of a different vibe, a little grittier, a little more alternative um, kind of vibe to it. And it also seemed like it could be a really fun single for holiday season um, just to have something new to show up with, you know. Um, and the song itself, it, it, it um, let's see, there, Kickstarter is a thing, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, Whenever I made the place that you call home, one of the Kickstarter rewards, uh, if you pledged enough, was to have a song inspired by you. And a friend of mine uh, pledged at that level. And so the song actually came out of, I was looking at, there's a photograph of me and this particular friend uh, walking to a New Year's Eve bonfire that used to happen post-Katrina in New Orleans. Doesn't happen anymore because it got way out of control. And, uh, but basically like this one neighborhood would pile up Christmas trees in this, in the median and have this like create this giant bonfire. And, uh, there's a photo of me and my friend walking to it that year that I just, I really love. And, um, I was looking at that photograph whenever I started the song and, um, that's kind of where it, where it came from. But, but the song itself is just the kind of a reflection on relationships and time and, and how, um, I don't know. And it's interesting because happy new year, like we, when we say happy new year to somebody, we're like marking time this whole like year shift. And it's in some ways you can argue that it's meaningful. And in some ways you can argue that it's totally arbitrary. Um, and I just think I love that dichotomy of new years. And then like, you never know what you're like, sometimes you're celebrating because it was a good year. And then, then I remember like 2020 and 2021, everybody was like, Oh, thank God it's over, you know? <laughs> and it's just such yeah. a bizarre holiday in that way. Cause it's like, what we just celebrate to celebrate something, you know, it's just kind right. of like a fun, fun, arbitrary, like, well, here we are again. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone says they're going to quit. Everyone quits drinking and starts working out for seven days. Really? And then, exactly. You know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's a fun, it's a fun tune. So I'm excited to be, to have it, to have it come out on the second. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and chatting with me. I, I sure appreciate it. Is there anything? Is there anything we left out? I mean, I'm sure a bunch of stuff, but anything pressing we left out? Anything pressing? I don't. I don't have much pressing in my life generally ever. Um, but I would say if this is coming out in December, if people are holiday shopping, I would love for you to check out the new Evermore Nest merch on the uh, on the website evermorenest.com because we got some cool stuff absolutely it's one of the fun things about making a new record is you get to make all new merch new merch you do have cool merch too and uh you had a very um 
sensible setup. You had lots of merch, and it was very pretty and compact. It was it, you had. You maybe oh, have. I, my I appreciate favorite, that. That's been a you have struggle my favorite merch <laughs> setup at farm. <laughs> I don't feel like merch setup is very. I'm not like that's not intuitive for me. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, it you had me fooled. Um, <laughs> well, if you don't mind, stay on the line with me for just a a, a minute. But for in front of our listeners, goodbye and thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. All right, that was Evermore Nest. Links in the show notes to merchandise and music and all that other stuff. Check it out and check out the new single, of course. Thanks again for listening. I sure do appreciate it. I think that's all. Um, Any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can direct them to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll chat with you next week. Thank you.